Psalms 32, and we're going to read the entirety of the psalm uh, for context, although we'll only be preaching from two verses. Uh, But I want you to hear what the Word of God says in this psalm. David, under the inspiration of the Holy Ghost, writes and says in verse 1, Blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man unto whom the Lord imputeth not iniquity, and in whose spirit there is no guile. When I kept silence, my bones waxed old through my roaring all the day long. For day and night thy hand was heavy upon me. My moisture is turned into the drought of summer, Selah. I acknowledged my sin unto thee, and mine iniquity have I not hid. I said, I will confess my transgressions unto the Lord, and thou forgavest the iniquity of my sin, Selah. For this shall every one that is godly pray unto thee in a time when thou mayest be found. Surely in the floods of great waters they shall not come nigh unto him. Thou art my hiding place. Thou shalt preserve me from trouble. Thou shalt compass me about with songs of deliverance, Selah. I will instruct thee and teach thee in the way which thou shalt go. I will guide thee with mine eye. And be ye not as the horse or as the mule, which have no understanding, whose mouth must be held in with bit and bridle, lest they come near unto thee. Many sorrows shall be to the wicked, but he that trusteth in the Lord, mercy shall compass him about. Be glad in the Lord, and rejoice, ye righteous, and shout for joy, all ye that are upright in heart. Let's pray together. Lord, I love you. I thank you uh, for allowing us to be here tonight. Lord, I know it's a privilege. I know it's an honor, Lord, to be here tonight in your house with your people and your word. Father, there's many people that this evening have had to rush under cover of darkness and threat of danger and imprisonment just to be able to meet with other believers and to hear the Word of God preached and to sing the songs of Zion. And Lord, I just want to thank you tonight that we came into this comfortable place. And Lord, it's so comfortable that it's easy for us to grow complacent if we're not careful. So I pray, Lord, that you guard us against that complacency, that apathy, and Lord, that you'd stir our hearts tonight through the preached Word. We love you, Lord, and we ask it in Christ's name. Amen. I want to preach to you tonight out of verses 8 and 9. And I want to read them again to you before we get into the preaching. Verses 8 and 9 of this psalm says this, I will instruct thee and teach thee in the way which thou shalt go. I will guide thee with mine eye. And then he says, Be ye not as the horse or as the mule which have no understanding, whose mouths must be head in with, uh, held in with bit and bridle, lest they come near unto thee. And if the Lord will help me, I want to preach for a little bit tonight on this thought, where He leads me, I will follow. You know, God has a desire to lead His people. Uh, let me say, before we even start with the preaching, that we, as His people, need to be led. We can't navigate life on our own. We need God's wisdom. We need God's will. We need God's leading in our lives. You need God's leading in your personal walk with the Lord and in your personal decisions. I mean about things that relate maybe to where you work or financial decisions you might make or health decisions that you might make or whatever it might be. You and I, we need God's leading in our personal lives, our, our personal lives, and we need it in our public lives too. Let me say that for those of us that are raising families, we need God's leading in our parental lives. Uh, We need God to show us how to raise our kids. I'll tell you something. Uh, One thing you learn real quick after you have children is that you ain't got it figured out. Amen? And you think you do, but you don't. And uh, that's not any kind of criticism on those that don't have 
children, but it is to say that that's a fact of life when you have children. And all of a sudden, the crushing weight of the responsibility that is upon your shoulders begins to sink in. All of a sudden, you ain't got the confidence that you thought you had. And uh, things change. And we need, we need God's leading to raise our children. No amount of books can replace the leading of God. No amount of blog posts, no amount of, of media can replace God's leading in our life. Uh, let me say this, that we need God to lead us daily as we lead our families. It's not enough to try to figure out the right way to do it and do it in our own strength. We need to be praying and asking God to give us wisdom and unction daily to parent our children. And same thing can be said about our marriages, our relationship with our spouse. We need God's leading. As a church family, we need the leading of God. Uh, we're looking ahead at things that God may do in the future. And I don't know everything that God may do. I don't even know some of the things God may do. We're just trying to follow Him day by day uh, in what we're endeavoring to do. But we have big plans for our church. We want to see God do great things in our church and in our ministry. But for that to happen, we need the leading of God. We can't do it on our own. It's not enough. Hey, listen, God doesn't just set a course and put us on it and then walk away from us. But He walks with us hand in hand, and we need that leading in our life. So in every facet of life, we need the leading of God. And in the same respect, God desires to lead us in every facet of life. So what we have to make sure tonight is that as God seeks to lead, we are submitted to that leading. Now, there's not a person in this room, I'd suspect, that would not say this or agree with this statement. Preacher, I want God to lead me. No doubt everybody in this room would agree with that. Uh, the problem is not that we don't in theory want God to lead us. It's that sometimes we don't utilize and take advantage of the, the resources wherewith God desires to lead us. In other words, sometimes when He tries to lead us, we don't listen. Sometimes when He tries to lead us, we listen, but then we don't obey. And sometimes when He tries to lead us, we simply ignore it. God has a desire to lead His people. And I have a very simple message tonight I want to give you that I see in these verses concerning how God wants to lead us. And I want to give you three simple thoughts uh, tonight. And we're going to answer these questions. How He wants to lead us. How He's willing to lead us if necessary. And why He needs to lead us. So let me say tonight that as the psalmist draws this analogy, he tells us first off, now remember, we know God wants to lead us. And I know I seem like I'm being a little redundant. And if you don't know what the word redundant means, it sounds a lot worse than it means. Amen. But if uh, I know I'm being a little redundant, but it's necessary because I really want you to get this. If you walk away from here and think the sermon was about anything other than the fact that God wants to lead us, you missed it. Okay? I want you to get that in your mind. God desires to lead you. Now, here's the question. How does God desire to lead us? Well, the psalmist draws an analogy between God's leading of us and then the leading of a master leading a beast of burden for whatever reason. We do not know. But he likens us to a horse or a mule which have no understanding. Now, there's two ways that that uh, master, that that owner can lead that mule. Now, I want you to listen carefully. I'm going to go ahead and give you two of my points right now. The way he desires to lead that mule is by command. By command. Now, any of you who's been, ever been around uh, any of old timers that used to plow and work with mules, you know that sometimes the mule doesn't obey what the owner says. Uh, but the owner, if he has his way, he doesn't want to have to be rough with that animal. He doesn't want to try to 
force that animal. The whole time that he owns that animal, he tries to train it so that merely at the sound of his voice, he can convey something to that animal, and that animal will obey. Just like that mule owner, he desires, God does in our life, to lead us by command. That's what God wants. But there is another way that God is willing to lead us. And it's the very same way that that owner of that mule uh, is willing to lead that mule. If he has to, he can take a bit, he can take a bridle, he can put it in that mule or that horse's mouth, and he can coerce that animal to do what he wants. And in the same way, God can and is willing, if necessary, to lead you and I. He desires by command, but He is willing, if it's necessary, to lead us also by coercion. God will do whatever it takes to make sure that we follow His leading. Now, that's not to say we can't ultimately spurn the leading of God. We can, and there comes a place God will step away and say, if you want to live that way, I'll let you live that way. But in the normal course of a Christian's life, these are the two ways that God will lead us. And both of these are conveyed in this psalm. And I want you to notice the first thing. He desires to lead us by command. He says in verse number 8, I will instruct thee and teach thee in the way which thou shalt go. I will guide thee with mine eye. Now, how does God lead us by command? We talked a little bit on Wednesday night about the voice of the Lord. And I'm going to try to preach through this part of it quick, because if you was here Wednesday night, you've got a lot of it already. But uh, we talked about the three ways that God, by and large, uh, communicates with His people. The first way that God communicates with His people is through His Word. Amen? The second way is by His Spirit. And the third way is through providence. Now, I also made this statement. I'll echo it again. One of the funny things about providence is this. Most of the time, you don't notice it until you're past it. Amen? Most of the time, you look backwards and can see the hand of God. So as God is seeking to presently and actively lead us in our lives, there are two ways that He does it, by the Word of God and the Spirit of God. And I want you to notice, first off, God desires to lead us through instruction. He says, I will instruct thee and teach thee in the way which thou shalt go. Any of you that are raising kids, you know this to be true that uh, one of the things that would be at the top of every single uh, parent's pipe dream wish list would be this, that my child would just obey what I say to them, and I'd never have to correct them, but they'd just do what I ask them. You know that God's the same way? God ha- is so interested in leading us. God is so interested in having an intelligent, communicative relationship with His people that He gave us His Word. And the Word of God is the primary resource through which God makes His will and mind known to you and I. I said it this morning, and I'll say it again. If you want to know uh, something about God, open His Word. Go here. Here you'll find the answers of every pertinent issue of life. Uh, I'll remind you that the Word of God deals with everything in life. But it deals with it in one of two ways. The Word of God deals with everything, either in particular or in principle. Say, preacher, what do you mean by that? Well, there's things that the Word of God deals with in particular. For instance, like alcohol. The Bible deals with alcohol in particular. Wine is a mocker. Strong drink is raging. Whosoever is deceived thereby is not wise. Now, that's pretty clear to me. I trust that it is to you as well. The Word of God deals with alcohol in particular. But what about harmful drugs that people are taking for recreational purposes? You don't find anywhere that the Bible deals... Oh, I know. Listen, I grew up in Christian school, and I remember... uh, people trying to draw a line between uh, the sorcery in the Old Testament with pharmaceuticals and they're trying to connect the Hebrew words. And I'm not saying there's no merit to that, but I'm saying sometimes you can get in a ditch, amen? Nobody's giving up their baby aspirin, amen? 
So uh, you can get in a ditch that way. But I think instead, if we just saw that what God has already dealt with in particular gives us a principle through which to address the other thing, then we'll find that God's already spoken on the matter, which is this, that God has given us the miracle of modern medicine. There's nothing wrong with it. God intends, hey, listen, God put man on the earth. He gave him dominion over it. And he said, everything's going to be for your consumption and for your, uh, for your use and for your benefit. And I believe these medicines can fall under that too. But if we take that thing and use it in an ungodly or an unchristlike way, then I believe it falls under that same principle God has already revealed to us through alcohol. And God's not pleased with it. In the same way, God's Word deals with everything in life, either in particular or in principle. So it doesn't matter what you're facing. God has already spoken on that issue. God's desire is that you and I simply take His Word, read it, and obey it. That's how we find the will and the mind of God. Listen to what the psalmist says in the 119th Psalm. He says, Wherewithal shall a young man cleanse his way? By taking heed thereto according to thy word. You want your life clean. You want your life to be in keeping with God. Uh, don't be sitting around waiting for a big sign from heaven. Don't be waiting for a ton of bricks to hit you. Uh, instead, open the word of God and read it and believe it and trust it and apply it and obey it. And God can change your life radically through it. Uh, There's several statements that the psalmist makes in the 19th Psalm about the Word of the Lord. And I want you to listen to what he says. In verses 7 through 11, he says, The law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The statutes of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The judgments of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, yea, than much fine gold. Sweeter also than honey and the honeycomb. Moreover, by them is thy servant warned. And in keeping them there is great reward. Did you catch that? It says, moreover, by them is thy servant warned. God's primary way of warning us in life is through His Word. And so if we're dismissing the Word of God, we are dismissing the first and primary way through which God wants to lead us. You know, I think about these mule drivers, and a good mule driver, he can, he can run that mule without ever having to lay his hands on the rein. If the mule's obedient, and if he's experiencing, you'll see, hear them sometimes if you ever go to any of these events, saying, gee, gee, ha, ha. What are they doing? They're giving commands to that mule. And it has been trained to respond to the right commands. You know, you and I as believers, that's how God wants to lead us. He don't want to have to force us. He don't want to have to coerce us. But He just wants to speak His Word and us obey. That's what God wants in our life. He wants to uh, lead us through instruction. But then notice this next phrase, and I want to explain it a little bit to you. He says, I will instruct thee and teach thee in the way which thou shalt go. But then He says this, I will guide thee with mine eye. Now, there's a couple things we ought to say about this. Number one, we ought to explain the context of it. Again, remember, he's talking about somebody that leads about a horse or a mule. And do you know that mules or horses, if they're trained well enough, uh, and if their master is out in front leading them, because remember, the Lord doesn't drive us, He leads us. Let me say that again. He don't drive us, He leads us. And so the person that owns this animal is out in front of it. And he can lead through commandments. But do you know that if that horse or that mule is in tune enough with that owner, with that master... They'll even watch what direction their master is facing, and they'll preemptively, if their master's going a certain direction, they'll start going the same direction that he is. And here, I think, is what the psalmist is driving at. 
He's saying, hey, listen, God desires to lead us through commands and by instruction, but He also desires to lead us through impression. And He says He wants to guide us with His eye. Now, what's the application to you and I? Well, as you go through the Word of God, you'll find that there's a close correlation between the eye of God and the Spirit of God. Over and over and over again in the Word of God, there are drawn as a parallel and as a metaphor that the Spirit of God is the eye of God and the eye of God is the Spirit of God. I'll give you one example. In Revelation 5, 6, the Bible says, And I beheld, and lo, in the midst of the throne and of the four beasts, and in the midst of the elders stood a lamb as it had been slain, having seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent forth into all the earth. Now, before you get mixed up on your doctrine, it's not saying that there's seven Holy Ghosts. But it is saying this, that the ministry of the Holy Ghost in this world is sevenfold. And you'll find that language given also in the book of Isaiah where it talks about uh, there being seven spirits on the Anointed One, the Messiah of God, the Christ of God. And that's talking about the sevenfold ministry of the Holy Ghost. So if the eye in the Word of God is closely connected with the Spirit of God, here's what I believe we can come to understand from that psalm. That God wants to leave us... A lead us through His Scriptures, but God also wants to lead us through His Spirit. God wants to... Uh, hey, listen, if we're in tune enough with Him, then just like that mule or that horse watches to see where the eye is facing, if we'll listen for the leading of the Spirit of God, it'll tell us what direction God is headed in. God desires... And there's times in our life where uh, we may, uh, for, for one reason or another, we may consider the Word of God to not be clear enough on a matter. And, of course, the Word of God is abundantly clear on what it speaks upon. But if you're like me, you find a way to take the simplest thing and make it as complicated as possible. And sometimes we do that. And oftentimes when those times happen, it's the task and the great joy of the Spirit of God to clarify what God's mind and will is about a matter and to reveal that thing to us in the same way that, hey, listen, that mule, he may get hard of hearing and not be able to hear the commands that are given, but as long as he can see, he can pay attention to the Master and see what direction he's headed in. So the Spirit of God is one of the ways that God desires to lead us. Now, I'll I'll go ahead and confess to you that I've never found an adequate way to explain the Spirit of God to a lost man. I've never found an adequate way to explain the leading of the Spirit of God to a lost man. If you don't know Christ, then no uh, no amount of explanation is going to make it make sense to you. It's not something that needs to be explained. It's something that must be experienced. Amen? And I'm not talking about some kind of vague, ethereal, mystic experience, but I'm saying this, until you have the unction of God indwelling you, you can't, I mean, listen, we can try as we may to explain the difference between conscience and the Spirit of God, but until the Spirit of God takes up residence in you, and that happens the moment a person receives Christ as their Savior, he takes up perpetual, eternal residence in the heart and life and spirit of the child of God. Until that's happened, no amount of it, I can, I can put it on paper, I can try to explain it, but it's still not going to make sense to you that there is a difference between the conscience and the Spirit of God. But there is a difference between these two things. Sometimes your conscience will tell you the wrong thing. Sometimes your conscience will get quiet on you. Sometimes your conscience will be seared. If you choose and desire to live a certain way, eventually you'll start to feel okay about it. We see this in society today, all manner of wickedness, and uh, people are permissive of it. Not only are people permissive of it, but one of the things they always say in society today, you'll hear this over and over again, people can be doing something directly contrary to the Word of God, but they'll say this, but it feels right to me. Where's that conscience at? If that conscience is infallible, 
Shouldn't it be leading and guiding you into truth? Well, the conscience can be manipulated, but the Spirit of God cannot be manipulated. The Spirit of God will always speak truth in accordance with the Word of God. Listen to what Christ said when He gave us of His Spirit. In John 16, 13, He said, Howbeit when He, the Spirit of truth, is come, He will guide you into all truth. For He shall not speak of Himself, but whatsoever He shall hear, that shall He speak, and He will show you things to come. John talked about it in the book of 1 John. He said that you have no need that any man teach you. Now, that's not to say that God's against us being taught the Word of God. But when He uses the word teach there, what He's saying is for truth and revelation to be imparted unto you in a supernatural way. See, in John's day, they were dealing with what we call Gnosticism. And Gnosticism still exists, exists today in the modern charismatic movement, uh, amongst other things, but that's where it's most prevalent. But Gnosticism was a group of people that believed they had a special revelation of God that didn't just everybody get, but God loved them and gave them a special revelation, so they were in a special group because of this special revelation. The whole book of 1 John is combating that heresy. They also believe they didn't sin. They had redefined sin and uh, they believe they didn't sin. That's the reason John all through the book of 1 John says, if any man say that he hath not sinned, uh, he's a liar and he's made God a liar and he's, he does not the truth and the truth is not in him. Because he's trying to convey that these people were not being honest and forthright with what they were saying. But they also, they claim they had a special revelation of God. Uh, something extra-scriptural. Uh, and uh, they were claiming that this uh, little group of believers, they weren't special because they didn't have it. And so John says, no, that's not true. Hey, listen, if you're saved, you have the Spirit of God within you, and you don't need anybody to impart revelation to you. You don't need anybody uh, to somehow give you some special unction, because he said, you have that self-same Spirit and unction of God within you that is capable to reveal truth to you. I found this, that listen, I can rehearse truth to you, but I can't reveal truth to you. Only the Spirit of God can do that. I can rehearse truth to you. I can preach it to you. I can tell it to you. But I can't make it real to you. Only the Spirit of God can do that. Only He can open your heart and open your mind. God desires to lead us through His leading. The Bible says in Romans 8:14, For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. So one of God's ways is through the Scripture, another is through His Spirit. He wants to lead us through instruction, uh, through the Word of God, but He also wants to lead us through impression, uh, us being in tune with God's will and desires for our lives. So that's how He wants to lead us. But then notice what He says in verse number 9. He says, "...be ye not as the horse or the mule which have no understanding, whose mouth must be held in with bit and bridle, lest they come near unto thee." So he says, now listen, I want to lead you in a certain way. But he says, there are the types of horses and mules out there that can't be led that way. And so he says, for people like that, I am willing, if I must, to lead you by coercion. We might say this, that God, when He needs to, can get our attention. God, when He needs to, can sit us down and make us listen. Sometimes He maketh us to lie down in green pastures. It's not fun, Uh, but I'm warning you is what I'm doing tonight. Because if you're a child of God, then you belong to Him and you're His responsibility. And the way you live, hey, listen, just like the way my child lives is a testimony on the way I've raised him, the way we live is a testimony against God's leading. And when we're living in rebellion, God can do what it takes to deal with us. 
we understand what is uh, the analogy is that's being given here. If you've ever dealt with animals uh, like this, then you know what the bit and the bridle are. The bit is the metal piece they put in their mouth, and the bridle is another word for the, the whole headdress, the whole head uh, frame and, and rein that they would put over them that would attach, everything attached to the bridle. By the way, can I just say this, relative, we ain't preaching out of the book of James, and we ain't preaching on the tongue, but isn't it something that you can control that whole animal if you get control of its mouth? Now, that's a good lesson that God Himself gives to us in the book of James. If you can get your mouth under control, you can get everything under control. And God can lead us in that manner. But I believe what He's saying here is that God has two capabilities through coercion. And when we talk about coercion, we can talk about any number of things. Sometimes God can, uh, can lead us into tragedy. Sometimes God can allow us to experience loss. Sometimes God can uh, allow dissension and disruption, unsteadiness and instability into our lives. Uh, sometimes God can put us in a sickbed if He has to. And God does not desire to do anything in, in any of these things in your life or mine. But I'll tell you what God desires less than those things being present in our life, and that's us living in abject rebellion. And God doesn't want us going our own way to our own destruction. And so he'll do whatever he has to to lead us. And by the way, you know, God doesn't even have to do any of those things. When you read in uh, the book of Psalms, David talks about times he had sin in his life. Talks about how he's laying in his bed and his mouth dried up and uh, his tongue cleaved to the roof of his mouth and uh, said he was sorrowful on the inside and talked about how he tossed and turned on his bed. Hey, God don't even have to put you in a sick bed to make you miserable. God don't have to bring tragedy in your life to make you miserable. If he wants to, he can just make you so miserable in life that you can't handle it anymore. But one way or another, God is able to lead us by coercion for two reasons. Number one, and this reminds me of it when I consider the bit that is placed in the animal's mouth, he can get our attention when he has to. That's the primary purpose of the bit. That's the reason whenever uh, they're riding that horse, and you've seen it in old cowboy movies, and they want to make that horse stop, what do they do? They yank backwards on those reins. You know why? Because that piece of metal is in that horse's mouth and it gets that horse's attention. And it'll rear back and it won't go forward. You know why? Because it's looking up. It ain't looking down anymore. Able to get its attention. You know, God is able to get your attention when He needs to. God is able to change everything in a moment when He needs to. Some of y'all been through some things in life, some of those moments where all of a sudden everything changed. I, listen, as a pastor, I can't tell you the numbers of times I've sat in hospital rooms and emergency rooms with folks that when they woke up that morning, everything was fine, and then before it was over, their life was in pieces. God can do what's necessary. And so the first thing He does is He does something to get our attention. Uh, God wants, first off, to make us aware that we're walking in our own strength and not in His strength. You know, sometimes we don't even realize we're going our own way. Sometimes we don't even realize that we have dismissed and ignored His leading. And sometimes the first thing He has to do is show us something's wrong and to get our attention. Then there's a second thing, and that's to change our direction. The bridle is given not to get the attention of the horse, but literally to take that horse or that mule's head and turn it by force to face the right direction. Sometimes God allows things in our life just to get our attention, but sometimes He is trying to drive us from the path we are on onto the path we should be on. And if He has to, He can change, turn our head and turn our direction to get us focused upon Him. Now here's the question I want to ask you and I'll be done tonight. We've looked at how He, was, how he wants to lead us by command, and we've considered how He's willing to lead us by coercion. 
But I want you to consider why He needs to lead us, and that's for correction. I want to give you two reasons it's necessary for Him to lead us, but before we do, I want to read a passage of Scripture to you out of Hebrews chapter 12 that sums up the relationship of our Heavenly Father to us as children when we walk astray. In Hebrews 12, 5, the Bible says, You have forgotten the exhortation which speaketh unto you as unto children. My son, despise not thou the chastening of the Lord, nor faint when thou art rebuked of him. For whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth, and scourgeth every son whom he receiveth. If ye endure chastening, God dealeth with you as with sons. For what son is he whom the Father chasteneth not? But if ye be without chastisement, whereof all are partakers, then are ye bastards and not sons. Furthermore, we have had fathers of our flesh which corrected us, and we gave them reverence. Shall we not much rather be in subjection unto the Father of spirits and live? For they verily for a few days chastened us after their own pleasure, but He for our profit that we might be partakers of His holiness. Now no chastening for the present seemeth to be joyous, but grievous. Nevertheless, afterward, listen, afterward, it yieldeth the peaceable fruits of righteousness unto them which are exercised thereby. Wherefore, lift up the hands which hang down and the feeble knees, and make straight paths for your feet, lest that which is lame be turned out of the way, but let it rather be healed. See, God is not trying to punish you. God's trying to correct you if you belong to Him. God's Listen, God's not trying to make your life miserable. He's trying to make your life holy. And He's doing what's necessary to do so. And there's two reasons why we need this so desperately. Number one, we need this leading because of our natural stubbornness. The Bible says here, why does the bit and bridle have to be put in the mouth of the horse and the mule? This is why. Because they have no understanding. They have no understanding. They will naturally go their own way even if it means destruction. Most of the time when you see mules in the Bible, they've got lost and somebody's having to track them down. (laughs) And you know, most of the time in our life, uh, how many times has somebody looked at your life and it was at a period of time when you were lost and God was trying to track you down? See, the truth is we go our own way naturally. We go our own way flagrantly and confidently. The Bible says there's a way that seemeth right unto a man. Not there's a way that seemeth wrong, but he goes that way anyway. But there's a way that seemeth right unto a man. But the ends thereof are the ways of death. You know why it seems right unto him? Because he has no understanding. I said it before, but I'll say it again. We need God's leading. Because naturally, we don't know where we need to be led on our own. And naturally, we're so stubborn that we'll get ourselves in a mess trying to do it our way. When are you going to learn in life that you can't just will your way through this thing? When are you going to learn in life that you can't pull yourself up by your own bootstraps? When are you going to learn that except God leads you, you won't be led rightly? We must be led because of our natural stubbornness. But then, and I'm done with this, we must be led because of our natural stumbling. Notice what it says at the very end of verse number 9. Lest they come near unto thee. Now, if we just simply consider this through the idea and through the lens of God as our Father and us as as His child, then we're going to ask ourselves, why would it be a problem for us to come near unto Him? But remember the metaphor and the allegory that's being drawn here. He's talking about the image of an of a owner or a master leading a beast of burden. And what's going to happen if that thing gets too close to him? Well, one of two things is going to happen. Uh, either they're going to run into each other, or uh, one of them's going to have to stop while the other one gets in the right position. You know what happens in our life if we go our own way? We'll start to trip over God. Listen, there's only two reasons 
that a mule would run into its owner. One, because it's not paying attention and watching where it's going. Or two, because it's trying to get ahead of it when it's not time for it to travel that road yet. Naturally, we'll start crossing over paths with God if we walk our own way. Why? Because we won't naturally go the way God's going. We have to be led. The reason this being said is because it's like that owner of that mule is walking along and that mule keeps running into him and turns around and says, Stay back! You're getting too close! You're trying to go your own way and your own pace. Well, that word pace is tough, isn't it? Trying to go your own pace instead of being led at the pace God sets you at. So the truth is this, you need God's leading and I need God's leading. Very simply put, because we don't know what we're doing. We don't. You might say, well, preacher, speak to you for yourself. I got life figured out. Well, it won't take you long. And there will be some time that you'll have to admit that's not the case. We need God's leading in our life. You need God's leading. Your family needs God's leading. Your marriage needs God's leading. This church needs God's leading. We can't do this thing on our own. We need it in our lives. So here's the question. We need it. God wants to give it. We would say in theory that we want God's leading. But will we go to the place, the resource where God leads us? And when God leads us, will we submit unto His Spirit and be obedient so that He can lead us in the way that He wants to by command so that He can lead us aright?